Welcome to Off the Record. I'm your host, Marika, and I'm a dietitian, nutritionist, and recovering perfectionist. Join me each week as I bring you raw and real conversations with inspiring men and women discussing matters in health and nutrition that are often swept under the rug. Sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of coffee or a wine, and enjoy learning from conversations that help us to understand the messiness of what it means to be a healthy and balanced human. Welcome back to another episode of Off the Record. Now, in today's episode, we are talking all things weight bias, weight stigma, and body image. And I am joined by the amazing Glenn McIntosh, who is a psychologist who is incredibly passionate about eating, physical activity, weight, and body image. He is the author of the best-selling book, Thin Sanity, Seven Steps to Transform Your Mindset and Say Goodbye to Dieting Forever, and the founder of Weight Management Psychology Clinic. Now, Glenn has taught me so much that I know about the role psychology plays in uh, health behaviors and nutrition. So I'm really, really looking forward to you guys hearing this conversation and I guess getting to see a bit more of the messiness that is uh, involved in conversations around body image and weight as well. So hope you guys enjoy. Alrighty, welcome to Off the Record, Glenn McIntosh. I am super stoked to have you here. You have actually, and I think I might have told you this before, but had a really profound impact on the way that I practice as a dietitian. I remember I came to one of your workshops. I think it was either like in my last semester at uni or uh, maybe straight after I graduated. And I didn't realize until I came back to do it again, which I didn't even know that I was doing it the same one the second time, but I came back to do it again. And um, I realized how much of the way that I practice as a dietitian was based on the way that you taught. Um, So I just wanted to firstly say thank you for teaching me a lot about what I do in my practice as a dietitian, but I'm so excited to be able to now share some of your knowledge and expertise with everybody else. So welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. And isn't that just like the coolest thing? Like, I think that psychs and dietitians need to be best mates in this space. And it's just, it's so cool that, um, that maybe unconsciously some of these ideas kind of seeped into your way of practicing and have helped so many people since then. Yeah, I well, again, I think it was unconsciously because it wasn't until I came back that I was like, oh, wow, I do this all the time. Like, this is how I practice. And I was like, oh, you've actually taught me so much. <laughs> and I'm surprised. I got to say that like, I was just, it was so funny. I remember the moment you came into the second workshop, which is really just like an updated version of the first one. And yeah, the first time you were like a, a student psychologist or just fresh out. And then the second time there were other dietitians in the room because it was a Dietitians Australia event being like, is that Glenn, is that Marika Day? <laughs> Embarrassing me. <laughs> it was funny. I'm like, yep, that's the rock star herself. Please. Anyway, let's introduce you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Let's move on from me. Okay. Yep. Um, let's talk a little bit about you. Who are you? Like, what do you do? Um, I've already introduced you obviously earlier, but um, what what it, what is your purpose? What is your passion? Why are you here on this planet? So I am, I'm a psychologist and I'm super passionate about my areas of eating, physical activity, weight, and body image, which are all obviously interrelated. Um, And 
I think my mission, if I succeed, is to to spread compassionate messages because I think that I work with a lot of people who might be yo-yo dieters or people who live in larger bodies and I think that they don't necessarily experience compassion. In fact, sometimes they experience bias or discrimination from society, including their health professionals. So compassion is a big thing for me. Evidence is a huge, huge thing for me. I think sometimes us health professionals, we kind of get caught up in like learning what we, like doing what just what we were taught at uni or sort of practicing based on an ideology or a set of principles versus science. And as we know, you know, science changes. So a big thing for me is actually being a, a science-based practitioner and, and practicing on what the current evidence says to us, mm-hmm. um, which is completely different to what is out there for people who live in larger bodies. It's totally not evidence-based. Um, and the other thing that I'm really into is uh, doing innovative work. I think that if you look at, you know, we see a lot of people who are struggling with eating and weight and body image concerns. And if we look at the research on what is offered to people in that situation, it's, it's not very promising, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's pretty disheartening. So we do like to look at... Um, at things that do have some evidence for them, but might be a bit new and a bit fresh and a bit um, a bit different to what people have tried before. And that's one of the biggest compliments that people can pay our work is when they sort of say, whoa, this actually is different to what I've yeah. done before. Yeah, and I think that, uh, again, being a health professional as well, is that obviously science and evidence is such an important part of what both you and I believe in and, and the way that we practice. But I think yeah. that there also has to be, like you said, compassion and um, empathy and like judgment that goes in with that as well. Because, you know, if we all just go by complete science and I was literally having a conversation on the podcast um, earlier with uh, Megan Bray and we were saying, I said to her that it's so annoying that, you know, you'd go to like professional development events and, you know, you'd hear all this new and exciting research. And it's like, well, have you actually tried to put that into place with an actual human being. Like, totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's very different. It's, yeah, totally. And it's, it's, that's that like art and science because at the end of the day, you know, science is really all about numbers and data and what we do is work with Humans. real people. Yeah. So that's the, the, the art and science of it and what makes it fun. And I think that that's if we as health professionals do our job, we are working with that evidence base in the back of our minds and we are also honouring that there is a unique individual in front of us. And that's what makes our job fun. Otherwise, it's just like a robot could do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, and props to Megan Bray. She's another legend. Oh, such a legend. Yeah, such a legend. You know yeah, what I love great. about Megan Bray? How yeah. she just, she is someone in this industry who has the courage to say what she thinks. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I think she has a really unique perspective um, as well, having had a lived experience with an eating disorder and um, sort of being there in the industry. I think that, yeah, her message is incredibly powerful. So Yeah, I'm with you. Um, uh, so can I ask you what led you to specialise in this area? Were you, you know, when you became a psychologist, was this exactly what you wanted to do? Was this something that sort of, you know, fell into mm-hmm. place? Tell us about how this all came about. Oh, Marika, it's so funny because I'm, as you know, I'm very into this area. It is the biggest part of my life. Uh, 
but I just I, I wish I had a better story when people ask me this. I, I was going to say, I, I don't know what the answer to this story is, so I'm I actually excited. I fell into it. So I wanted to be a – my sliding doors career path was I wanted to be a full-time martial arts teacher. I was into martial arts. And my mum said to me, she's like, Glenn, you know, you're – she's like, you're pretty smart, so why don't you just do some type of study so you've got a bit of a backup and so I ended up doing... This is your backup. <laughs> this is my backup. I'm like, damn it, don't you hate it when your mum is right? Like, I'm so happy in this area. Hopefully mum doesn't listen to this because she'll know that she was right all along. Well, um, I'm in the same boat. My mum's a dietitian and I refuse to be oh, a dietitian because she is. was a dietitian. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. You're a dietitian. <laughs> and here we go. Your mum's Janelle? Yes, yes. Yeah, legend, legend, legend. Um, so it was in our stars, even if we didn't have uh, those intentions ourselves. Exactly, meant to be. Yeah, uh, yeah so I ended up, I did my honours research. I, so I studied sport and exercise psychology because to me that was the closest thing to like martial arts. And I, I actually did my honours research in how martial arts affects your mind state. But I found that in the sport and exercise psychology degree, I didn't really care about the sports stuff too much. I was into the exercise and that really fascinated me, just the everyday person and why they move their bodies and what the mental and physical benefits of that are. And and then I just happened to have a mentor who was right into the psychology of eating and, and weight concerns. And you kind of put the exercise psychology and the eating and weight concerns in together. And, and I, I think this is a super cool area because when I started like 15 years ago, we didn't have psychologists that were for, you know, what we call subclinical weight concerns. Mm. We had psychologists for mental health concerns. We had psychologists for if you had a, a fully diagnosed eating disorder, but we didn't have psychologists who could help you just with emotional eating or yo-yo dieting or body image concerns that are more of that general kind of nature that we all have versus something that's, you know, super duper clinical. And so I like about this area that, that we're putting it together. And I think it's, you know, now, 15 years later, we are seeing psychologists treating these subclinical eating, physical activity, weight, body image concerns. Um, and we're starting to realize the importance of psychology in this space. I think it's like the missing piece of the puzzle. Um, I actually think it's the, like, not even just the missing piece of the puzzle. It's the key piece of the puzzle that, like, it, yes, it's been missing, but it's like, it's half the puzzle. Well, no, it's it's eighty percent of the puzzle. It's eight, it is the puzzle. It's the- <laughs> <laughs> we take that out, and we don't even have any pieces left. Like it's yeah. it's so important because, and as I said to you before we even started recording, is that I feel like in nutrition it's really hard to do anything if we're not considering somebody's psychology or somebody's yeah. um their life as a whole and like their body as a whole in terms of you know not just their physical body but their body in terms of their space that they occupy in the world and where they live and all of this sort of stuff, which it does, it ties into their psychology. And then, you know, when we think about nutrition, it's all about behavior change and behavior change is psychology. 100%. And it's, that's why as a good nutritionist, a good dietitian, you have to be half a psychologist. And that's why we do courses like we did with the DAA, teaching dietitians all this stuff and they love it because it might not be something you necessarily get a lot of at uni. No, yeah. Well, I certainly didn't get a lot of. So, um, yeah. I I don't know whether it's changed anymore. But um, I, I think it is changing it, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I hope yeah. that it's changing. 
Um, so today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about weight stigma and the impact that weight stigma has on uh, the individual as well mm-hmm. as, I guess, what it's having on society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but first and foremost, can you explain to us what is weight stigma? Yeah, great question. So weight stigma is the experience of feeling like you are too large to fit in um, with society in some particular situation um it's and i think it's really important that we differentiate that from having a high bmi having a high bmi or a larger body is one thing but what weight stigma is about is about the experience of having too large a body feeling as though you're the simplest way i say is feeling as though you're too fat to fit in in a particular situation yeah and a question on that, is there a particular weight that this occurs? Like, you know, can you be any weight and experience weight stigma or do you have to be of, you know, a certain BMI, a certain size, a certain, you know, whether it's clothing size or yeah. um, like is this exclusively reserved for people in very large bodies or can you experience weight stigma? And you might not know the answer, but can you experience weight stigma being in somebody who's only a little bit overweight? Yeah. So this is this is a really important question and here's where I think it's important that we talk about like all the different concepts I suppose the terms is if we're talking about weight stigma we definitely find not surprisingly at all that people in larger bodies experience more weight stigma and the larger you get the more likely you are because we live in this society that that stigmatizes fatness and idealizes thinness and the idealization of thinness is a big part of the problem because we we feel like we're better if we're thinner, we, uh, we feel like we're worse if we're fat, and we're also told that the, the path from being fat to being thin is an easy one that everyone can do. So therefore, the, the, the implication is if I'm fat, which is quote-unquote bad, then that's my fault. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a, a layer of, of, um, of judgment around fatness. So... So we definitely find that people who live in larger bodies experience more weight stigma. But if we talk about body image, so your relationship with your body, we actually see that people of all shapes and sizes experience body image concerns. So certainly it's not that fat, and I'll use that word borrowing from the fat acceptance movement, that fat people have the monopoly on body image issues. You know, if that was the case, my really large clients would have the worst body image issues. My sort of more average size clients would have less and my skinny clients would have none, but that's So not true. You and I both know that. (laughs) Totally, totally. Um, Yeah, that's really good to clarify. And so the way that I sort of interpret that is that we have weight stigma, which is kind of separate to body image. Um, but obviously there might be some overlap there. What I'm going to ask, I'm just thinking out loud here, is that so you could potentially be experiencing weight stigma yet have a positive body image? You could be. You would be like a body-loving unicorn who has probably (laughs) done some serious work on some psychology. Yep, some (laughs) psychology or exposure to non-diet or body positive or health at every size ideas and really internalize those ideas i would say that would be rare but absolutely you can and you see those like uh in my book i call them like the body positive badasses 
who are mm. like, I actually have divorced my body image from society's expectation of me and I don't give a shit yeah. what people think. And yeah. I think that is part of developing, cultivating a, bo- a positive body image is about saying no to society's expectations of what our bodies should look like and developing our own standards for what a healthy, happy, attractive kind of body is. Yeah. And in terms of the negative consequences of weight stigma, is there much research around or just in your practice, have you seen much around what um, the negative either health effects or psychological effects that weight stigma has on an individual? Yeah, absolutely. So, the and and this is really important because we often talk about um, there's that huge question about the relationship between body size and weight and health. Um, but if we if we take that debate out at least for now and just talk about weight stigma, so I'm not talking about living in a larger body. I'm talking about experiencing weight stigma. What we know that does for your health, it's linked to depression and anxiety. It's linked to self-esteem problems and it's actually linked with behaviors that we wouldn't want if we had to cultivate a healthy lifestyle in any size, shape, body. So we know that experiencing weight stigma can be related to harmful dieting practices. We know those harmful dieting practices often lead to like too low weight, uh, eating disorders or weight yo-yoing. We actually know that... that um, stigmatizing information, receiving stigmatizing health information can actually make us eat more rather than less. I've seen that so often. Do you? Yeah, Yeah. so often. It's heartbreaking because it's like these people have actually gone out to seek help for whatever. It might be related to what they're they're experiencing in terms of their weight or their um, health or they've just gone out for a completely separate, you know, reason. Maybe it's a knee surgery or something like that and they're then – been put this weight stigma on them and you know for example on the the knee surgery thing they've been told that they're too fat to be able to go onto an operating theater table or whatever it is and that as a result then leads them to binge and gain another 10 kilos over the course of six months so yeah that's something that i've definitely seen and i think that's marika i think that's a really good point that weight stigma if we look at the research it tends to backfire so it's it's not you know there is this idea that oh we'll just tell people all of the problems associated with overweight and obesity, which are, of course, stigmatizing terms in and of themselves. Um, But we know that that tends to have the opposite effect to what we would want for someone if they're living in a larger body and looking to take care of themselves. Mm. The other thing is with exercise too. So we do know, and this is not surprising at all, that if you experience weight stigma, you're less likely to exercise, especially in public. Wow. Yeah. Uh, And probably a final thing that I think is really important is that, that, you know, unfortunately, us health professionals, we're trained in a weight bias kind of a way. So we sometimes consciously or inadvertently um, sort of propagate this stigma and put it on our clients. Um, And and one of the, the, the paradoxical effects of that is it makes people less likely to want to come and see us. Yeah. So, Ooh, and that dietitians are the food police, don't you know that? 100%. 100%. When I go to encourage someone to see a dietitian, of course, I always encourage people to see a dietitian who's a real specialist in their area, like you with your gut health or, you know, a lot of non diet dietitians. And I have to convince people really hard because they're scared. And if given their Rightfully experience, so. 
rightfully so, 100%. And I think that's a, a great example, Marika, of what you're talking about with the, you know, the, the weight stigma or the weight bias, um, that, that weight bias actually, it interferes with us health professionals providing the best care for people that, that we serve because we, we developed this very weight centric way of practicing. So someone comes in with a knee issue or a common cold to the GP and they have to get on the scales. Yeah. Um, and, and, and paradoxically it also, um, I suppose like conversely, it, it also affects people living in thinner bodies because we do know that, that weight bias health professionals are less likely to pick up health problems in thin people. Because they don't look mm. like people who should have health problems. Wow. Yeah, so we see that in, in GPs, for example. Um, we, we see that people, a lot of people living in smaller bodies are not screened for, not diagnosed with diabetes because they don't look like someone who should have diabetes. So it's like when we, the more we uh, get sucked into this weight bias and weight stigma, the worse it is for everyone. Mm. So asking uh, a big question here, what do we do about it? Oh, it's a great, it's, it's a great, great question um, because as we know, and I'm just thinking about one of those studies I was talking about with where people experience weight stigma and then ate more. In that study, they were actually given factual information about the effects of their weight. So we do know that there is a health-weight relationship. So I think that my belief based on reading quite a bit of research is that the health weight relationship is exaggerated. Yes. So there are many people who are living in larger bodies who believe they're unhealthy who aren't. Now, that doesn't mean that because the relationship is exaggerated, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> so and this, this is actually why I, I wanted you on the podcast because I actually, um, I very much love your approach to this because I I agree is that like, you know, we can't dismiss that the fact that some people, um, it, there will be a weight health relationship there, but it's mm-hmm. so over, like over um, hyped and it's so over saturated that yep. that is the only relationship that exists. And like you said, that there's so many people out there that the weight and health relationship is not working for them and that actually focusing on their health as opposed to their weight is going to be more favorable for them. Yep. But we can't again, like I said, completely deny that that link does exist there. And this is where we have to, um, us health professionals and everyone who's listening to this podcast, who's concerned about their own health, we have to sort of sit in the mess and the nuance and try and figure out what the best answer is for us. Um, One of the things that I like to do when it comes to, to thinking about, okay, well, what do we do about this is... I like to think of our inherent weight bias, so our, our inherent belief that that uh, fat is bad and thin is good. I like to think about it as, say, if you're consulting with a health professional, so or if two health professionals are talking, or if you're just talking to a friend, the weight bias is the third person in the conversation. <laughs> So it's just sort of sitting there just subtly talking to both of you. And so I like to think, and I, this is what I do when I practice with my clients. I say, okay, we don't know that weight is unimportant for you. We don't know that yet necessarily. 
But what we do know is that there's a little unconscious voice telling you that your weight matters. And I've got it too. There's a little unconscious voice telling me that we have to focus on your weight. And we need to be mindful of that. And we need to really put that on the witness stand and see whether it holds up. And and once we're mindful of that inherent weight bias that we have without trying, and we try and sort of create some mindfulness around that and really test that assumption, it puts us in a much better place to focus on on our overall health and our well-being and our success and and then decide for us as unique individuals how big a role weight should, you know, how big a focus weight should have in our lives. Yeah, and the way that I've always approached it is that, okay, if you do want to focus on weight and like if if that is something that you really do believe is an important component to your health and your health outcomes, then I'm not going to like, you know, take that away from you. I'm going to educate you on, you know, the the facts around what it how important it actually is, which is usually much less important than what they think it is. Yes. But I yep, think yep. it's about like essentially, and the way that I describe this to people is imagine that goal being like, instead of like a tennis ball that you're just, or a stress ball that you're squeezing, like, you know, having that weight goal is something, uh, I don't know, maybe this is something you taught me. I'm not even sure. <laughs> um, but like instead no, of having I'm, that, in, like, I'm in, I'm listening. So it's not something <laughs> I taught you. Okay. Um, but like instead of having that weight goal as like a um, stress ball that you're squeezing the life out of and, it just you're putting all of your energy and effort into it. Think of it as like a ripe, juicy peach. And oh, yeah. if you squeeze it too hard and if you focus on it too much, it's just going to fall apart and it's just going to crumble into pieces. So mm-hmm. sure, if you want to have that goal there, I am not totally against people having a weight-related goal. I don't think it's healthy for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly don't encourage people to be focusing on their weight. But if that's something that's really important to them, what I say is pretend it's a juicy peach and we're not going to focus on it too much. It can be there, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be something that we squeeze the life out of. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. And so then I sort of move them towards focusing on, okay, well, if that was the goal, what are the behaviors then that sort of align with that? And so then that might be looking at, okay, well, what exercise do we enjoy? And, you know, like how do we eat more nutritiously and those sorts of things? So I think, um, yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying there. And I love that. It's like holding you know, whenever, well, as a general psychological principle, and I think we always get a worry whenever we say always, but but so many times when we hold our goals too tightly, we end up sabotaging them. So I like that idea of if you are having a weight goal to hold it lightly. Um, and I totally get that. It's like, okay, well, weight loss is not a behavior. So let's look at some of the health behaviors around that, that goal of weight loss. Um, and also what I would say is if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I need to hold that a little bit more lightly, that's a wonderful idea. And another idea that might really help it is look at, okay, well, if I'm holding the peach lightly, the peach, you know, vis-a-vis weight loss is, is not the sole gatekeeper of my success and my health and my happiness and my worth as a person. So let me then look at some of the other things that might make me really happy and me feel really great about myself and me feel really healthy. And, and, and sometimes we talk about this in the sort of the non-diet spaces, not achieving your goals through the vehicle of weight loss, but going for that goal directly. So if I want to 
run 10Ks. Let's not focusing on losing 10 kilos so I can run 10Ks. Let's cut out the middleman mm. and learn to run 10Ks. Yeah, yeah. And I think another example there would be like somebody who thinks that they need to lose weight to find love or to be confident um, and those sorts of things is let's cut out the middleman and like let's start exploring relationships. Let's start exploring. If you were confident, like, you know, confidence, I think this is something I really want to touch on with you, but if you were confident, what would you be doing? Like what's the difference between the confident you that might be 10 kilos lighter and the current you? And if you did have the confidence, like is it going to the beach or is it, you know, running in the backyard with your kids? Because you can still do those things here and now without the confidence. The confidence will come through doing it. Yeah, and you can do those things without losing weight. Most importantly, yeah. Most importantly, yeah, and totally. And like when you were saying that, I I, I agree with you with the relationships because it's like, okay, what's coming to my mind is like confidence is sexy. Yes. (laughs) It's funny. I've got to share this and uh, I'll I'll, I'll keep the other person in the story out of the story. But I was presenting at a conference, right, at the Mind Heart Connect conference, which is a really interesting conference. It's a combination where science meets spirituality. Really interesting, really, really interesting. And I was I was the MC because, as you know, I can talk. So I wasn't presenting. I was just listening to all this crazy, awesome stuff that's happening. But this – and look, I try to keep pretty professional at work and I'm at work. And this – this is an embarrassing story, but I think it highlights a good point. This lady came up to myself and my friend in one of the breaks and – male friend – and – um. She was, she was just like, she just had this way of like looking in your eyes when she spoke to you and it was just a, like a, a fun little conversation and, and, and she said, look, come and check out one of my workshops later on. As soon as this lady left, here's where I'm embarrassed to admit this, both my friend and I said the same thing. We were like, she's sexy. Just out of the blanket, just gateway. And then we went and checked out her presentation. Of course we did. She was a curvy woman's empowerment coach. Wow. And when we check, we look at the presentation like, oh, this fits. This makes sense. Yeah. Because she is someone who has bought out of that belief that she needed to be a particular size. And, you know, in today's society, that particular size is like the size and shape of a prepubescent girl, which (laughs) that's what it is, you know? Depressingly true. So, yeah. So it's like if you are one of those very small percentage of people who has that body, you're much less likely to have that after you, you know, are in your teenage years. Uh, And then you're much less likely to be able to maintain that without some type of disordered eating. Um, because very few people maintain that type of a body for their whole life, um, just naturally. Um, so this person has, has decided, well, actually, you know what? Beauty and attractiveness and sexiness can come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Yeah, and and again, I know we're speaking here about like male-female relationships in that sense. But like most of the males that I've spoken to around this matter is that like they're, they're not looking for, you know, super skinny women to, to fit their idea of sexy. Um, they're certainly looking for confidence when it comes to this. So, and I think again, the key thing that we're sort of speaking about here is that you don't need to achieve 
any weight or body or, you know, body fat percentage goal or anything in order for you to do that. Um, and this is actually a question I was going to ask you later, but in your experience, when people do lose weight, do they see an improvement in their confidence or their body image? Um, or can that happen without um, any changes in weight or body fat percentage? Yep. So one thing we know, and, you know, I do like the research. Let me say, if we, we define uh, body image as your relationship with your body, your relationship with your body primarily exists in your mind. Yeah. I think your body image is between your ears, mainly, mm-hmm. mainly. And that is why we see people of the same shape and size or a similar shape and size that have different body images. Um, so there is definitely a psychological component. I would say that it is the main component. Um I think a great example of that, for example, is, you know, some of uh, my clients who have uh, under-eating disorders, anorexia, they are around about when they get out of hospital, if we're frank, they're around about society's ideal. Mm. But those guys have worse body images than 99% of my clients in larger bodies. So it's definitely not that your, your body image mainly exists within your mind. And we do know, thankfully, that you can improve your body image without or changing your body shape. And a great example of that I think is if you, uh, if for people who are physically active, after you do a workout, often your body image improves. Your body hasn't changed in one workout, <laughs> but your body image has. And so that tells us the, the very good news that we don't have to necessarily change our bodies in order to feel more comfortable in our bodies in order to have a better relationship with our bodies and that's good because if you you know marie if you have if you take everyone who's doing your program and say this will never happen this would be perfect well but say they all stick to it really really well not perfectly but really really well um we all know that will never happen but say they do you still end up with 100, 200, 300, how many people we're going to program, doesn't matter. You end up with that many body shapes. They're still, everyone still looks different. Yeah. So, so that kind of lets us off the hook to being, you know, to thinking we don't actually have to achieve this manufactured, harmful societal ideal in order to love our body. So, definitely part of it is body image work, it's working on your psychology. Yeah. Now, and I, sorry, you go. Go, go Marika. I was going to say that I think that where we believe differently, because I would say um, in contrast to that anecdotally, like a lot of people do say, well, when I lost, I remember a time when I lost five kilos and my conf- I felt so much more confident and I felt so much better. And yep. that's where I would sort of go, well, okay, is it because you lost the weight or is it because you were engaging in activities and uh, behaviors that were value like of value to you so for example you might have been exercising or you might have been eating a little bit healthier Mm -hmm. Uh, so was it those that you felt that that was in line with your values by doing that and that's then in turn what sort of helped improve your body image or was it the weight that you lost that really had the impact yeah and I think, you know, Marika, one of the things I like about your podcast is that we, we're we real here and we can just have chats that maybe that are probably maybe a little bit vulnerable for us because we know that there is going to be a lot of people listening at the end of the day. <laughs> but I would say, I don't know what you think, but I would say that's probably for most people if they do take better care of themselves and they, um, and they lose some weight, 
it's probably both things that that are giving them an improvement in their body image. And so I think that that if we sort of brought, if we think about again, your body image being your relationship with your body, it is your relationship with your body is about your thoughts and feelings. It's about your actions and your inactions. Uh, it's just like any relationship. And also it's partly about the way you look. Yes. <laughs> and so if we can broaden out to just in, have that sort of multi-dimensional view of body image, then we can start to have a look at all of those things. Mm. Um, but then I also think that it's it's not even just about the way that we look. It's about the way that we have idealized that we should look as well. So if, and, and this is what I sort of always say, is if we never knew, like, if we never knew what, um, oh, actually, and this is a conversation I was having with myself earlier. <laughs> um, I do this occasionally. Um, but I was like, if I was, I was talking to somebody about cellulite and I was like, imagine if everybody in the world had cellulite. And I mean, like 95% of females, I think, have cellulite. But imagine if every single person in the world had cellulite and we all saw that cellulite. So it was, you know, in body parts that were incredibly obvious. It wasn't just on our, you know, asses and our upper thighs and those sorts of things. It was on our faces. It was on our hands. It was, you know, everywhere that we could see. Would we still think cellulite is a bad and again, quote unquote, bad thing? Because it'd be, say, like saying ears are an ugly feature. It's like that's just what we all have. Like, you know, we just accept them for what they are because we know it's part of being human. So I also then think that that ties into it is that we've idealized a certain way of looking. And that, yes, has changed over the course of the last 50 years. But I would still say that the driving factor behind this idealized body, body, particularly in the last maybe 20, 30 years, is around not necessarily weight anymore, but probably leanness or body fat percentage. Like you can maybe now be a heavier weight, but God forbid you have any body fat on you. Yep, yep, yep. You can't, you can be super skinny and that works, or you can be muscly with low fat and that works now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And and I I think this is a really important point, Marika, because, you know, we didn't, like you're not a baby in your nappy wondering if your bum looks big in your nappy, <laughs> you know, like you're, just in you're case anyone on. was wondering if they were, <laughs> you, if you're wondering, stop wondering. <laughs> this is something that we have learned. Yeah. 100%. The good news is that anything we've learned, we can unlearn. Um, but it is, and, and I think that, then we have to, I think we have to then go back one step further to the source and think, why are we taught these body ideals? Who benefits from these body ideals? And there I feel as though it's like it's a shining light. It's a, it's a no-brainer. We're talking about money-making industries, multi-billion dollar money-making industries, diet industry, beauty industry, food industry with its diet products, pharmaceutical industry that are just invested in creating a problem to solve. (laughs) And and so I think that when sometimes when you start to do this work and explore about body image and societal ideals, you really sort of uh, start to develop a a very – I suppose, anti-establishment view of the world. It's like we are made to 
believe these things in order to sell us products that we don't need, that don't actually give us what we want. They just make us feel worse. The diet industry makes us fatter. The beauty industry makes us feel uglier. And it just it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant business model that's invested in us feeling like we are less than and feeling as though we need to buy certain things, whether that is diet products or beauty products or clothes or, you know, pharmaceutical, like weight loss drugs, whatever it is, in order to feel okay. Um, and and I think that we we can't have this conversation without looking at this matrix that we're all living in. Yeah, and I think the other thing there is that you can engage in that without knowing that you're engaging in that. So, like, for example, I would say that I am semi-aware of the fact this of this matrix that exists and that, well, I guess what I'm saying is being aware doesn't necessarily stop you from engaging it is, is what I'm trying to say in the sense that I don't directly buy diet products or those sorts of things, but even by, for example, you know, buying anti-aging face creams and those sorts of things, mm-hmm. you're actually saying, well, who I am is, and I, this is a, a, a bit of a yeah, tricky and vulnerable areas because if you want to use face creams and that makes you feel better and those sorts of things, well, go ahead. Like you're not hurting anyone and you're also probably not hurting yourself. But when it does start to come to hurt yourself and hurt your psychological health and everything at the, like, at, so at your expense and you're also then paying somebody to essentially do that or paying a company or a product or whatever mm-hmm. it is, um, that's when we need to question it. But I think that, yeah, a lot of people might be listening and going, oh, well, you know, I don't buy diet shakes and I don't buy, um, you know, diet programs and those sorts of things. So therefore that doesn't actually affect me. But I think that it's so weaved into everything that you don't necessarily need to buy the product to be buying into the idea. Yeah. And I call this this craziness around always feeling though you need to lose weight no matter what size and shape you are. I need to lose a lot of weight or just still a little bit last few kilos, you know, that always feeling as though you're a little bit too fat and you need to lose a little bit of weight no matter what size and shape you are. I call it thin sanity. And one way that I think about this is as though we are all swimming in an ocean of thin sanity. And it's like we are like fish that don't know we're swimming in the ocean. (laughs) It's just the environment we're in, the amount of societal messages that we get day in, day out. And I suppose that that came to my mind when you talked about us maybe not necessarily being so aware of what's going on around us. Hopefully, this conversation has maybe raised some people's level of awareness or at least got you kind of thinking. Um, but I think there's there's a couple of points related to that too, is that one, when every fish is swimming one way with the tide, it takes an incredible amount of bravery to swim the other way. So if you are listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm doing a few of those things, well, that's completely understandable. So you have to have compassion for yourself. You know, to do those things we've talked about, to to not buy that makeup product, to not do the next diet that's, you know, when you've done five, six, seven diets, to not try the eighth diet that promises to be a new thing. To, as you mentioned before, to go to the beach and say, 
my body is worthy of going to the beach as much as anyone else as I can enjoy sitting on the beach and reading. I can enjoy eating whatever food I want to on the beach. I can enjoy swimming. For a lot of people, that is an incredible act of bravery. The other thing is, though, if we can be brave, it will help not only us, but it helps everyone else too. Because and you don't even necessarily have to have conversations or kind of advocate for size diversity. People just see a fish swim in the other way and go, oh, okay, I can kind of go that way. They might not go <laughs> that way for 20 years. Yeah. But they know they can. And so you get enough fish swimming in another way and the tide kind of turns, I reckon. Uh, no, I so agree with that. And I think that's such a, a powerful way to look at it is the, the fish swimming. And like you said, like when you see a fish swimming the other way, you're like, oh, that's actually an option because when you are in it, you don't see any other options. Yeah. So I think that it's that example of going to the beach. And, you know, I was, as you explained that, I was thinking of, you know, somebody at the beach and looking over and seeing somebody else who's potentially in a larger body who is being confident and, like we said, probably like really sexy looking at the beach because they are confident and, and loving their body and everything. And um, actually, and on that note, I don't even think you need to love your body in order to be confident like there it's not necessarily about loving it's just about accepting mm-hmm. um but that is showing somebody else on the beach who might be there covered up and going you know what like if she can do it i can do it or if he can do it i can do it uh, and that you know that bravery is contagious i think 100 percent. i completely agree with you um uh, yeah and I, I think that it is it's it's sort of if you're into these principles about sort of doing this in a way that is right for you. Like I have a bit of a definition of body love because I think body love for a lot of people seems a bit, well, actually we could talk about body love in a sec, but I think I, I had a great little story that reminded me of you talking about that the person on the, um, on the beach I had a client and this was funny because she was right. It's like after a couple of years of working with me, she's nailing everything and she was right into the whole body positive health at every size stuff. Like she was loving it. And she kept on having these conversations with like people at her work and, and she worked in a hospital. So like there's a lot of weight buyers in hospital. And look, these things, they weren't going well. And like, you gotta, you gotta tone this down because you're flying this like body positive flag and you're just arguing with people. So we've got to figure out a different way. And she came in and she had this little smile on her face one day. She said, Glenn, I've got to tell you this story. Because I sort of said to her, look, the first thing is you just changing your own attitudes will have that ripple effect. And she came in and she said, Glenn, she's got, I've got to tell you this story. She's been going to the gym. And as a result of you know following this non-diet approach, doing joyful movement that she likes, she loves lifting heavy weights and eating a bit better, but from like an intuitive eating perspective rather than a, a sort of a weight loss perspective. Um, she had lost a bit of weight and someone at the gym came up to her and said, you look awesome. How much weight have you lost? And she said, oh, thank you. I feel really great. I don't know how much weight I've lost. I haven't weighed myself in like years. And she said, she said I saw that little oh, that little light bulb of the other person go, oh, that's interesting. It's just changed the dialogue just by just by expressing her own beliefs and what she was going through. She didn't have to have a huge conversation. It's just rare for people to eat better, move more, lose weight, and then not really know how much weight they've lost. 
So on that note, I have a really important question to ask you that I think is going to be so beneficial for our listeners. What do people say in that situation when people are commenting on your weight and you are really trying not to focus on weight and you are focusing on your health and the healthy behaviors as opposed to your weight? Like how, you know, because these people might be their friends, their family, their mum, their daughter. Um, How do we have these conversations? I have... I have two answers for you, Reeks. One. You've just revealed my nickname, Reeks. Reeks, <laughs> the there it is. You heard it here first. Yes. Oh, God, I just died inside a little bit. <laughs> Sucked in. I'm going to listen to this, and if you edit it out, I'm just going to put it on all my socials. This- I'm going to just tag you and be like, Marika Day, a.k.a. Reeks, and I'm just going to put it everywhere. This podcast is about raw and real conversations exactly. and being vulnerable, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, hopefully Reeks doesn't know my nicknames, which I know that you probably do. Um, okay, moving right along. If some Speaking of shutting down conversations, <laughs> there's two things. I think that we do live in a weight-focused society. So if um, you are losing weight, gaining weight, unfortunately, you know, there are some wonderful people who are changing the values and the tone uh, and the degree to which we talk about bodies. And I think that so there's a whole community that's starting to, a sub-community that's growing that embraces size diversity and, and size-neutral conversations and body positivity, body neutrality. So the, the society is changing. But, of course, we probably can't guarantee that, at least in our lifetime, that you, you're not going to get these comments. So you, you need to also develop that resilience to be able to deal with them. Um, one thing that I find that, that a lot of my clients do, and it can be different for different clients, but is just to develop a, like a shotgun approach one-liner. Mm. It's like, you know, whatever the conversation is, whatever is said, I just develop my one-liner and it could be like, thanks, I'm taking really good care of myself. I feel really good. Or it could be like, you know what? I don't know how the, the weight is going, but I'm, I'm enjoying taking care of myself. Or it can be just whatever is your truth, but you almost develop it like a little script and even practice it a few times. So, so when you get in that conversation, you're not as um, you're not as put off, you're not as shaken, and you're more prepared. Hmm. Um, so I just develop a little one-liner, and the the cool thing is, as a psychologist, we learn tons of cool things about communication. And you know, when someone is not only do they not want to continue talking about something. But you know when someone is not going to continue talking about something. So I would encourage you to, if you develop your own little one-liner, is at the very end of that conversation, at the very end of that sentence or that little paragraph that you've rehearsed, slow your words down and deepen your tone. And then do not talk. So if you go, thanks so much, I don't know actually what I weigh because I'm not really too into this, but I'm feeling really good, so thank you. There you go. Love and the it. person you'll find even those big talkers of those people who don't shut up will go, Oh, okay, okay. got it. Anyway. Um, um, how's the weather? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and that is often what happens. People like fill that uncomfortable science with, they're like, oh, did you see the football match on the weekend? Coronavirus. Um, <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, and I think that we don't want, 
you know, my main interest is the individual first because I, I still work one-on-one with people. Um, uh, my, and even in our online programs, the, the focus is on the individual first. And then if you then feel so strongly about these principles or you've benefited from them so much that you want to share them with people, then that can be another thing that you choose to do. Um, and so, so the first point of call might be your own little one-liner that keeps you safe and protected or relatively so. Um, and look, when I say safe and protected, it might still hurt. <laughs> it yeah. might be hard to deal with, but it means you can deal with it with a bit more resilience. Um, the other thing is that, you know, ideally, we, we don't really want to be having these conversations at all because they are damaging, they are triggering, and even sometimes the more innocuous ones. So we know if we look at body image issues, for lack of a better word, part of the issue is dissatisfaction, so not liking your body. But the other thing we worry about is preoccupation. So even if we're, whether we like our bodies or not, being preoccupied with them is still harmful for our body image. So even just talking about weight and shape and size, it can, can be harmful for our body image, even if we're not you know, necessarily feeling bad as we leave those conversations. So as a general rule, I really like to encourage people to, to, to talk with their friends and have a vulnerable, elevated conversation and implement what I call a a no-fat talk rule. Hmm. And this is where you kind of think about who do I want to talk to? Is it my 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 mum who always sort of has a comment about my grand about you know about their grandkids' weight every time they come over? Or is it uh, my friend who their first comment is, oh, you've gained weight, you've lost weight, or you know, who is it? Is it our uh, is it our girl gang who like that becomes like a dominant part of the conversation? And actually sit down with them and say, look, this is what's going on for me. This is what I think. I think we've got better things to talk about than who's lost weight, who's gained weight, what next diet we're doing. And I think we've got better conversations to have with each other and sort of implement what I call like a no fat talk rule. Yeah. The Um, word that comes to mind there is boundaries. Like you can always set boundaries around the types of conversations that you are having in your life and that it's not up to like... It, when you set that boundary, being quite firm with that boundary in the sense that, you know, you, your mum is still probably or your sister or your daughter or whoever it is is probably going to continue to push that. But set that boundary quite firm that, mm-hmm. like you said, you've got that no fat talk rule or that no diet talk rule or whatever it is. And potentially even like, you know, what are the consequences if you continue to sort of push this boundary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And totally. And that could be, and, and that could be worded depending on, you know, with the situation, the other person very firmly. And you could even talk about what these are, if you do that, you know, for example, if you fat shame my kids again, we're going to leave. Or, you know, one way I like to think of boundaries is not like this cold, hard thing that keeps people out, but like a warm light that protects us, you know, where we could just touch someone on the shoulder and go, babe, enough, you know, and they kind of get the message. Um, uh, Babe is such a condescending word, I think. <laughs> to me, I think I'd rather somebody put up the cold, hard boundary than go bang. <laughs> but that's what, you know, that's what communication is, right? It's about good community. You know, the, the, we tell the, the meaning of a communication is found in the response it elicits from the other person. 
So you need to think about, does that person need to babe or does that person need to like, I'm going to punch you in the face if you say that again type, you know, type feeling. Um, and, and one other thing I would say about this is, you know, this could be strangers on the street, but this could be, often this is people that we love. And often this is people who are swimming in the same ocean of thin sanity that we are. And often this is, these are people who have been victims of weight bias themselves victims of you know they've internalized this societal body shame and so they and then they've become perpetrators like most of us have been and are um so but most of these people will often really care about us and and sometimes i do find it is really good to have a vulnerable conversation and say hey this is why this is upsetting me and sometimes it's easier for us to, to show what we want rather than why we want it. Sometimes it's easiest for us, easier for us to show those surface emotions like anger or frustration rather than deeper emotions like rejection or hurt. And, and, and sometimes and this obviously involves an incredible amount of bravery. If you do go there and have a vulnerable conversation, it sometimes can help people who love us understand better oh, this is why i need to be mindful of of what i i say around weight shape size dieting around this person because it really upsets them and of course i love them and i i don't want to upset them yeah if, I, if anyone's I, sorry, oh, go Ruth. And I was going to say, I used to tell my clients to call a family meeting and, and do a, a very similar thing where it was like, you know, I, I understand that you're coming from a place of yeah love and you know, you're trying to care for me, but this is how I'm receiving it. And often that's an incredibly brave and scary thing to do. But so often people come back into my office after doing that and go, whoa, that actually worked a lot better than I expected. And it doesn't mean you don't have to follow up because this, you know, weight bias just rolls off the tongue and old habits die hard, but it, it sets a platform to, to change the, the tone of conversations. And often you find, I never, when I'm, I'm having this conversation with a client, I never really worry that they're going to end up with an outcome that is worse for the people around them. They're just being the catalyst who creates conversations that are better for everyone or pro- the other way of thinking about it is protects everyone from more harmful conversations. Yeah. Um, if I did a really good um, podcast on my podcast about this with Taran Brumfit from the Body Image Movement. So if anyone's into that, it's a, it was a big podcast. It was like an hour and a half. We broke it up into a few YouTube videos and, and then there's a middle bit in there where she talks about that was at the start of her body image journey is her sitting down with all of her friends and the, the actual process she went through. Yeah, I think the key thing there is, like I said, it's a, it's a really um, confronting conversation to have. And the thing that I've learned from confronting conversations is to lean into the discomfort as much as possible. So for anyone who's sitting at home sort of thinking, okay, cool, I love that idea, but... <laughs> that, how, like that gives me anxiety like I, I so feel that as well like it, it gives like, me yes. anxiety talking about it <laughs> I'm like here sitting thinking about all the people at home listening to this episode and going oh god they're probably like having a panic attack inside um the the conversation is way worse in your head than it is in real life and as soon as you get the first words out, they're not going to be perfect and they're not. it's not going to come out as you've scripted it in your head. No. But as soon as it comes out and as soon as it flows, that anxiety and that panic will start to melt away. 
One other strategy that um, I find personally useful is to have something in your hands when you're having these sorts of difficult conversations. And I don't know whether it's just because I'm a hand person, but like I always, when I'm having really difficult conversations, need a cup of tea or something like that there. A little safety blanket. (laughs) Yeah, it's my safety blanket. And also for me, it gives me an opportunity to um, stop and have a drink as well. So like, you know, if I've said something to stop me from, sort of continuing or to give me a moment to allow that person to respond, um, mm-hmm. having a, a sip of tea or, you know, a sip of coffee or whatever it is, yep. gives me a moment of pause. So, for example, if, you know, the other person asks me a question and I don't want to answer straight away, I can have a sip of tea and then yep. answer. A little pause point. Yep. yep. And those conversations, there are so many different things you can do. I think it's a really good point, Marika, that you, like, they never go as planned. So you might have a perfect little script in your head or some little bullet points. And if you get half of them out and the person understands, then you've won. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a really good point because we have talked about a whole lot. And I think sometimes we we tend to turn good ideas and hopefully we have come up with some great ideas and we tend to, to turn good ideas into prescriptions. So it's like, please, anyone who's listening to this, just you can listen to this podcast over and over again. Why don't you just try and take one of these ideas and have a play around with it? Don't we? Don't, we don't want to create any extra pressure. We do want to help you change in a way that's right for you, but we don't want to create any extra pressure. Always, always. Now, before we wrap up, I'm just mindful of time. Um, thin sanity. You've mentioned it quite a few times. This is, like you said, it's the um, the notion of swimming against the stream, but it's also the name of your incredible book. Could you tell us a little bit more about your book? Okay. Yeah, of course. Um, so my book, it's called, yeah, Thin Sanity, Seven Steps to Transform Your Mindset and Say Goodbye to Dieting Forever. And basically what I'm trying to do in the book is help you understand some of these factors that may have, that not may have, that probably have caused you to struggle with your eating, your physical activity, your weight, and your body image. And then shed some of those factors and learn how to love your body healthy. Sounds like a corny thing to do, but in your book, I, I, in the book I teach you that it, it is achievable. Um, we start off with um, breaking up with the scales. Uh, then we move into making up with your body, which is a work on body image. Um, and then we sort, sort of shift this paradigm from a sabotage paradigm where we're kind of squeezing that peach of weight loss to death to looking at, well, you know, let's hold that lightly and see if there's a mango and a banana and a pineapple and and create some new goals. Uh, And then we we work into how do we actually then create healthy habits? How do we make peace with food, with intuitive eating strategies? How do we fall in love with movement, develop a, a good relationship with movement? How do we nurture ourselves with ways other than food? And then how we kind of thing to talk about. Yeah, we kind of tie it all together with um, creating healthy habits. How we we end up with healthy habits that actually don't require a whole lot of effort to um, to sustain and just become part of our our way of life. Yeah, and the thing I think I like about it the most is that it's so practical. It's not um, like another book where it's just sort of giving you the theory and the um, the science behind it. It's uh, this is practically what you know, are the steps to take in order to achieve these sorts of outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks, and- Marika. I take that as a big a big compliment because I think that that's 
what it has to be. And my, you know, we talk about those, some of that research that has sort of exists in the university. And then you look at it going, well, yeah, real people, everyday people will never do that. And I think that is, if I have a strength, that is my strength is that I. I if you have, have a strength. If I have a strength, that is the strength. Please. It's it's not just that, that I've read so many research studies. Like, I think it's like 200 academic articles referenced in the book, but it's that my my actual strength is that I've worked with tens of thousands of people to actually apply these principles. So it's when the rubber hits the road, how do we actually do this stuff? And then we do spend a lot of time in the book. And we've talked a little bit about some of these things today um, about how you actually overcome the barriers. Because some of these things like, yeah, I get that. I might even know the, the thing I've got to do. But how do I overcome all of the the barriers, like the discomfort of having the conversation or actually how do I change my relationship with my body? How do I start to work on my mindset when it comes to the way that I see my body? So we, we spend a lot of time working on the practical and then helping you overcome any of the little barriers that you might experience on the way to it. Amazing. And then your membership program, is that sort of putting it again into practice within a group setting or like what's the what's the go there? At Marika, I couldn't have said it better myself. So basically the, the transformation support community is our new program. So it's it's pretty new. We've rolled all of our five we've been doing online programs for seven years now, and we've rolled them all into one membership community that gives you kind of everything. And I see it as literally it's a supported version of the book. Yeah. So yep, I'm in there doing webinars with everyone every week. So once a week, and we have like a Facebook support community that is run by uh, one of our psychologists. So it's led by, and he just gets back to everyone within like 24 hours. And it's so it's a very, because sometimes for, to really change, you need support. Uh, but sometimes, you know, from a psychologist, we're not necessarily always that cheap. So it's a, it's a sort of a doable way of, of supporting yourself and still getting a lot of really close contact and and close interaction with psychologists to help you actually work through that stuff just for people who need a little bit of an extra hand yeah so on that note people who like that would be i guess ideal candidates for this program are they people who need to lose weight that think they need to lose weight that have body image issues like what who are the people that um that might be listening going oh is this for me yeah yeah totally so it's a lot of the people that we work with are people who have tried many diets before and haven't found the lasting success that they want. A lot of our people, probably about 25 to 30% of our people are actually somewhere on their bariatric journey as well. Interesting. Um, so some of them who haven't found the, the complete success with the, the, the bariatric surgery, but it's really, it's for people with, you know, those main areas, eating, physical activity, weight, and body image concerns. And, and our real aims is we, we want to help you make peace with food, learn how to eat well. You know, we, we always hear about intuitive eating. We want to help people become intuitive eaters, which are people who eat well without trying. We want to help people find joy and pleasure in moving their bodies, not just the benefits it gives you afterwards, but the actual experience itself. Uh, we want to help people let go of all the self-criticism and learn how to love their bodies healthy. Um, and we want to just help people free themselves from this thin sanity so they can go and live the awesome lives they're meant to live. So we do end up getting into 
general psychology and like what are your personal life goals outside health outside just you know what matters to you and how do you kind of achieve that I love that and I think that we should end there because that is what I sort of end with all of the time when I'm when I do nutrition seminars I always say that the purpose of nutrition and knowing a little bit more about nutrition is so that you can then feel free to go out and live your life and to put your brain power into much more important things than nutrition so for me nutrition is about get your nutrition to a point where you can forget about your nutrition so that you can then go out and live your best life, whatever that looks like. I love that because that's, I think, in my exact aim from the psych perspective. So we have learned, I've learned that about, there's another similarity we have, reeks. <laughs> and we are done. <laughs> they know, thank you so much, Glenn. Um, you are a pleasure to talk to always and are so full of wisdom. And I'm sure that uh, everyone is going to love this episode and all of your juicy nuggets of information. Um, now your book, I'm going to be linking to your book and your program in the show notes for anyone that wants to have a look into those. And also where can we find you online? So you can go to my, my website, which is just glennmackintosh.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram, of course, like every other human being on the planet. Um, and for, for anyone who wants to do a little bit more work, like some very detailed work in this space, you can go to my website, uh, weightmanagementpsychology.com.au, which is where we have a team of sort of seven psychologists who work face-to-face, but also, we, you know, we do a lot via telehealth these days. So they're probably the best places to find me. And if you do reach out you know we i like hearing that there are real people that benefit from this so if you're like oh that was a really cool idea tell me it's really nice to hear yeah well and so one thing i always encourage people to do if they like this episode um to make sure that they take a screenshot and share it on their social media on instagram and yeah they can tag myself and you so that they know that they're getting that so we get to know that they're getting benefit from this totally i love it All righty. Well, thank you so much and um, appreciate your time, Glenn. Thanks for being with me, Marika. Thanks for having me. It's really good to talk to you as always. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. I think that that was such a powerful episode in terms of some really practical strategies that we can put into our lives in having conversations around health and weight and body image. And I think that that's something that so many people struggle with is how do we have these difficult conversations um, with our family, with our friends. And I hope that you can walk away with some really practical tools uh, from this episode, as well as a new perspective potentially um, on how you can show up in this space as well. So thank you so much again for tuning in. Um, I, as always, would love your support for this podcast by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, And if you would also like to share a screenshot on social media, I would be so appreciative of that as well. So just make sure you tag me at Marika Day. Thank you so much again. And I look forward to chatting with you next week. 